You're listening to The Open Podcasts. Savvy, lining up a shortish putt. Every big champion has won at St. Andrews. I guess it was his destiny to win there. Everybody wanted to watch Seve. He, like Tiger, was able to lift the entire game. Can Seve get a birdie four? Of course he can. It was a great tournament to watch if you were a fan. There was a lot to it. So we have a new championship leader for the first time, Seve Ballesteros, one ahead of Tom Watson. Seve was the ultimate. There was an aura about him, and he was a good-looking bloke as well, let me tell you. It was incredible to witness history, to see the excitement on Seve's face. When he finished and gave that fist pump, he looked so happy, and that's the way I want to remember him. Well, that is pure magic. Probably the greatest moment of my career. Nineteen eighty-four was a very special year for sport. McEnroe stunned Connors at Wimbledon. Carl Lewis won four gold medals at the Olympics, and Daley Thompson broke records in the decathlon. But what happened at St Andrews in the summer tops the lot. And he's just on it. Oh, you think he enjoyed that one? Sebastiano Ballesteros would later describe that moment as the happiest of his sporting life. And what a life! He was an artist, a fighter, and a legend. Now Ballesteros is putting for a three. Well, the miracle man strikes again. I'm Sam Torrance. Now he's a pretty good player in the 80s. But Seve, my old friend Seve, he was on another planet. Touch of class, baby. Touch of class. Touch of class. I was fortunate enough to play in the Open 28 times, but a championship at St Andrews was always extra special. Jack Nicholas once said, if you're going to be a player people remember, you have to win at St Andrews. What follows is the tale of an icon who did. This is the story of 1984. I went to St Andrews the first time. I have to be honest and I have to say that I didn't like it. <laughs> I say, well, this is the golf course that uh, I don't see any trees, I see bunkers and uh, all over the place. And, uh, and when I was playing the first, the front nine, I see bunkers, I say, what the hell, this bunker is, is here. I mean, this bunker is not even in play. And then I realized that coming back, that bunker was in play. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, uh, St. Andrews is the, is the type of golf course that uh, the more you play, the more you like it. That was Seve speaking in 2005 and his love affair with St Andrews took a while to blossom. He wasn't the only one who felt that way. Germany's finest, Bernhard Langer, was also a bit confused by it all. Well, it, it's a love-hate relationship at first. <laughs> I, I was about 18, I think, when I first played St Andrews and uh, had never seen a Lynx course before. And my first time around there was like, you got to be kidding me. This is supposed to be one of the best courses in the world. And... This is a joke. Just totally weird for me coming from Germany and never having played a Lynx course. And so I, I did not like it at first. And then as I played more rounds, more practice rounds and got the hang of it and 
realized what a wonderful design it is, I fell in love with the golf course, and it's one of my favorite places to play golf. The old course at St Andrews is the most iconic golf course in the world. Sam Snead, Peter Thompson, Bobby Locke, Jack Nicklaus, and Tiger Woods are just some of the greats who have won there. Oh, well done. Each and every one of them are legends of the game I love. And each and every one of them grew to love the old course, including a certain Tom Watson. I love the whole aspect of St. Andrews, not just the old, you know, the old course clubhouse, but when you do drive into St. Andrews, you have a feeling of the history of the game. You go back in history and you realize the historical context of, of what St. Andrews really is as it relates to the game of golf. I think St. Andrews should uh, remain as, as, as it is. I don't think uh, nothing should be changed in St. Andrews, nothing. It's a piece of art. It's a unique, the home of golf. I am Tony Adamson and I was broadcasting at the 1984 Open Golf Championship at St Andrews for BBC Radio. It's home, it's the greatest championship in the world, it attracts all the best players. The BBC always had a huge team of people where they all came from, goodness only knows, but it was a massive team and uh, we, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. Every Open Championship was special. I'm Ian Hendry. I was a fan at St Andrews at the 1984 Open Championship. I've been in a very fortunate position. I've attended all of the St Andrews Opens since 1978. So uh, it's a very special place. St Andrews, obviously, as we know, is the home of golf, and it's just got a buzz about it. 156 players would go to the first tee on Thursday, the 19th of July, 1984. My goodness, that is a long time ago. Many have been there before and knew what challenges would face them. But some ventured onto the old course for the very first time. A young Australian, Ian Baker Finch, was making his Open Championship debut. It was on television. We'd always watch the Open. That was really the World Championship for us in Australia and I'm sure the other guys that you've spoken to, that non-Americans around the world, the Open was the one. So the Open was, to me, You'd made it when you got to play in the Open. If you could go play in an Open Championship, especially one at St Andrews, uh, that was pretty special. And when you're playing as a kid, you know, this putt's for the Open, or this putt's for the Masters, or this putt to be Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player, you know, and my ball always won, of course. You try to trick your mind saying, well, it's just another golf tournament. Just go through your routine and uh, don't treat it as anything special, but you know it's special. You just, when you arrive, you know, there's... Bigger leaderboards, more people, more activity. Uh, and, you know, it's the Open Championship. It's the only major in, on our continent. It's the one tournament I wanted to win the most. At the time, the two best players in the world were there. Severiano Ballesteros and Tom Watson had both won the Open before. Sevi once in 1979 and Tom Watson five times. Watson was the defending champion that there was one player he feared more than any other. I go back to uh, when I first heard about Seve, and it was actually from uh, you people in the press reading the stories about this young Spaniard. Then he came you know, smashing on the scene in 1976 at Royal Birkdale with, with the shootout with Johnny Miller. And I said, well, wow, look at this guy. I mean, look how hard he's swinging at the ball and, and where he's hitting it. And I was intrigued. Here's a kid and see how good he is. Now he has this to be equal second 
with the great Jack Nicholas. Thousands of people hoping he'd hold it. Seve, to me, was the ultimate. Right from the moment when I saw him, when he made his open debut at uh, Royal Birkdale, which we'll all remember in 1976, as a 19-year-old, and it was absolutely wonderful. He came second behind Johnny Miller, and I remember going up to John Jacobs, the great teacher, coach, authority on the game, John Jacobs, after the second round, I met John as Seve came off the 18th, and John said to me, my God, he said, this boy is a genius. And then he added, if he ever learns this game properly, he'll be unbelievable. I'm Richard Boxall. I was taking part in my third Open Championship at St Andrews in 1984. It all started off, didn't it, when he finished second to Johnny Miller in 1976 at Birkdale, when he played that little pitch and run through the two bunkers at the last hole at Birkdale. I mean, you go and stand where he chipped that from. I mean, you, it's very easy to knock it in the bunkers from where he was there. Yes! You know, all round, he was brilliant. I mean, his putting was sensational. I always thought, his, his, you know, his short, his short game was absolutely brilliant. When he walked into a room or he was around you, you sort of knew there was something different going on, you know? There was an aura about him. And he was a good-looking bloke as well, let me tell you. Seve certainly had the charm and the looks, but in 1984, the eyes of the world were on the man from Missouri. Tom Watson, he had the chance to rewrite the record books. And Watson was going for the sixth British Open to tie uh, Harry Bardon. Yeah, so that week for him was very, very important. I knew that it was very important, so it was a little bit extra pressure for him. I wasn't thinking at all about Harry Varden. You know, times in your career, you play well and you really look forward to going to a golf tournament, feeling like you uh, have a good chance of winning. Other times you, you go into tournaments thinking that, you know, I've got to find something that's going to get me there and go on site to learn to learn something about your golf swing that uh, will help you out, play a little bit better golf. But going into St. Andrews in 84, you know, I, I was playing pretty well. In Seve's case, it was exactly the opposite. For the three-time major champion, the first half of 1984, I've been one to forget. As he came to St Andrews, his game was not in tatters, but he wasn't confident. And uh, I remember him getting hold of uh, two of his good mates, uh, Chino Fernandez and Jaime Gonzalez, who played on the Argentine tour. And those two guys took him to the driving range and they put him through his paces. And when he came to the press, he said, these two guys have put my game right. I do believe that I can win this thing. I'm Louine Mayer. I'm a writer for Global Golf Post, and I was at the Open in 1984. What I remember from that Open is just how dignified and calm Tom Watson looked and how exuberant Seve was and how it was almost unfair because it wasn't just Seve, but the crowds felt the same as he did. It was like, you know, Arnie's army. I mean, if he was angry... They were angry. When he was intense, you could see their brows furrowing. And um, it just worked like that. They were all working as one. And, he, you know, when he sort of charged up a fairway because he'd done something well, they would charge too. On the tee, Tom Watson. The 113th Open Championship was underway. The traditional role of a first-round surprise leader at St Andrews was filled fittingly by a Scot. Now this is the 10th, and this is a view of Longmuir. Bill Longmuir, who was joined 
later on in the day by Peter Jacobson and Greg Norman. It'll be a par four, it'll be a round of 67. He will join Bill Longmuir with completed rounds at five under. Score was one better than the likes of Ian Baker Finch, Nick Faldo, and Severiano Ballesteros. Again, a lovely rhythmical swing from Ballesteros. Lovely strike. Tom Watson opened with a one under par 71, leaving him just outside the top 10. And Tom Watson from the Valley of Sin, putting directly up at the hole, and the ball is swept away as it is on the screen. Day two saw Ian Baker Finch take the lead. The man from down under, the Sunshine Coast, he was shining. I went out that week and, and played great and shot 68 66. Uh, led substantially at the halfway, led by three. Behind him on seven under par was Seve, Faldo and Trevino. Watson signed for a 68 and was five shots back. While poor Bill Longmuir's dream turned into a nightmare on St Andrew's infamous road hole, the 17th. Well, Longmuir trying to do exactly the same thing as he did yesterday, ricochet back off the wall and, well, yesterday he escaped with a four. Today it looks as like it's going to be a lot more than that. Fifth shot for Longmuir. I'm afraid the only consolation I can offer you, which isn't much, this is the little devil that caused all the trouble. I mean, that hole is so incredibly dangerous. It puts the fear of God in there. It's terrible. The 17th would put the fear of God into someone else later that week. But more on that later. Now, you might be wondering how I was getting on. Well, I shot two over on the Thursday and two over on the Friday. Four over par. I'd made the cut. It was tough but it was definitely going to get better, especially on Saturday. Torrance de Scott has a putt for a 65. He was out in 30 this morning. Oh, just skims by, but that'll be a simple tap-in and a fine round of 66 for Sam Torrance, even if he did have a bit of luck with the weather early on. And the doyen of commentary, Mr Peter Alice. We do miss him, and we all need a bit of luck sometimes. And Tom Watson's third round got off to a very fortunate start. And playing the first hole, it's the defending champion, Tom Watson. Playing a sand iron. Needs to hurry if he's going to get over the water. Oh, oh well. That bounced over the Swilkin Burn, the little stream running in front of this green. And Watson escapes with a minor miracle at the very first hole. I hear that that was a lovely moment. It was a, it was a moment kind of filled with fear after I laid the sod over my wedge. <laughs> I said, uh-oh, here it is. And all of a sudden it hops over the, the soil can burn and I'm, uh, I got off to a very lucky start. Anyway, the, you know, you know, I played the, the third round, was, I played a really solid round of golf. I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was, uh, it was a, a solid round of golf and I was under control. This will be a four and a 66 for the defending champion, Tom Watson. Shot 71 in the third round, uh, was tied for the lead with Tom Watson and played in the final group uh, with the great Tom Watson, who'd won five and was going for his sixth, actually going for his third in a row at St Andrews that year, 84. So it was not only a dream come true in getting to play the Open at St Andrews in 1984, as 23 years old, but to play in the final group leading, playing with Tom Watson. Very special time, so many great memories. As for Seve, he was making steady progress and was just two back on Saturday as I went in search of his second claret jug. 
Yes, uh, it's very important. First two rounds to, to be in, in position and the third round really is where you make a move and the last round depends what's your position. You have to play conservative or aggressive. And I was, I was behind, I remember, uh, behind Ian Becker-Finch and Watson. Being in contention for any championship, let alone the Open, comes with huge pressure. Seve wore his heart on his sleeve and he sometimes needed a calming voice. Providing that was the man on Seve's back, the late Nick DePaul, the Seve Whisperer. He spoke to us in 2015. The first time I heard from uh, Seve's people, February 1st, 1980. You can't say no to the number one player in the world. I mean, how many chances are you going to get, you know, to work for a number one guy? It was good times. Most of, most of it was good times. Well, we were two different type personalities. He was a hothead, and I, I was more a controlled fella. And so we, we actually matched up very well, and I, I've been told that by a number of people. I was out there to calm him down when he got out of line, you know, and I could do that. Seve respected Nick DeBall because he was a baseball player, and he would stand on the practice ground and catch the balls, Seve's drives and everything, from in the air, and he would just catch them like that, one after the other, and people would go to watch him on the practice ground as much as they'd go to watch Seve, and... You know, it's quite something to get Seve's respect. So, going into the final day, the giant yellow leaderboard said, Ian Baker Finch, 11 under par. Tom Watson, 11 under par. Two behind Langer, 9 under. Ballesteros, 9 under. Then there was a five-shot gap to Lee Trevino, Nick Faldo and Hugh Bayocchi. I was just outside the top ten. We all know that the Open can produce real drama, but most of those present saw it as a two-horse race. They were the two best players in the world. I mean, it, I, I can remember it being billed as Tom Watson versus Seve Ballesteros. Well, now, Seve, we saw him play pretty well yesterday. 14 pars, three birdies, just that one five at the 17th. This from about 10 feet from birdie three at the opening hole. <laughs> and that must be considered an opportunity gone. The heart uh, becomes to be uh, faster, especially in the first team when they they announce uh, you tee up and they announce your name. Is uh, from there on is just uh, start to pump a little bit. But uh, after three or four holes, everything comes naturally normal. But uh, it's very special. Just to be there is very very special. The people make it, the atmosphere and the people is 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 very special. You know, very special. After winning it, uh, the championship five times, I guess uh, people look, would look up the scoreboard and look where Watson is in the scoreboard. <laughs> On the tee, Tom Watson. The final round, playing with Ian Baker Finch, I was we get nervous, obviously, with the lead, but I've been there many times before. I was really calm, and as I said on the first hole, I didn't think it was that big a deal, and I just noticed that as things went on, Wobbly didn't have enough experience to really pull me back, and I didn't have enough experience to realize what was going on. If I'd looked at it now and I was commentating on it, I'd say, whoa, boy, just settle down, you know, calm the nerves down. Ooh. Oh, that's desperately unlucky. That ball pitched at least four or five feet on the green and jumped back into the burn. I just got ahead of myself. I wasn't necessarily distracted by anything else, but maybe everything that was going on, just the spectacle of it all and, and all of the people involved in television and media. Langer for a birdie three and gets it. It's always better to, you know, make a birdie on the first and a bogey or worse. 
gives you a bit of confidence, it settles you down, and you've closed the gap, hopefully, toward the leaders. So that was good. We'll go to Sevi Ballesteros. <laughs> so we have a new championship leader for the first time. Sevi Ballesteros at 11 under, one ahead of Tom Watson. Things were getting very interesting, but it was time for the loop. This is where the fans can congregate to see the best in the world take on the 7th, 8th and 9th, the 10th and the 11th. It's a great spot to watch and to play. It's also where opens can be won and lost. The view is always to head out to the, the start of the loop. You've got the, the 7th coming in, you've got the short 8th, you've got the it's a par four but the short ninth you've then got the tenth back round so you can see all of this we obviously have our, our binoculars so you're you're watching the players go around so we would we would sit at the seventh probably for about an hour and a half maybe a couple of hours the tenth hole is uh you can hit a good tee ball and drive it on the green i mean the kids of today would probably hit a hybrid on the green i mean i'd had i had to hit a full driver to get to the green downwind on hard fairways but the uh that was you know, one of the key holes. You, you, you felt like if, if you could uh, birdie five and then you get to nine and 10, you had two good birdie opportunities at nine and 10. Those were the opportunities you had to take advantage of at St. Andrews. And I took advantage of it at number 10. Tom Watson at the 10th. He drove it yesterday. Now can he do it again? He's coming bumbling up, just scraping to the front edge. Just on the edge. What a superb tee shot. And Sebi coming up just short of the bunker on the 11th hole, selected to play a putter. He did everything else but. Beautiful putt from Ballesteros, but close but no cigar, as they say. So Sebi drops a shot at 11 and is now 10 under par. Watson left the loop with a one-shot lead 11 under par. Seve was 10 under and three behind was Bernhard Langer on 8 under. The Open Championship seemed to be in the hands of these three but the old course can bite at any point. Well, big trouble here for Tom Watson at the 12th. Gave it a big whack from the tee and look where he put it. It's an unplayable lie he's taking, so penalty stroke. I still haven't figured out how to play 12, <laughs> to be honest with you. What I call the top hat green. The 12th is a top hat green. It's low, and it gets high, and then it gets low again. And what a wonderful green that is. Just uh, spectacular. But I, as I said, I still haven't figured out how to play that hole. That was a bit weak and wobbly. That's very uncharacteristic. Tom will be cursing his game plan here at the 12th. Well, he gets a five, but that could be costly. Tom Watson went back to 10 under, and a tie for the lead with Seve. As for Tom's playing partner, he was having a horrid Sunday, and we've all been there. You can be part of some of golf's most influential fans by joining The One Club for free today. As a member, you'll be the first to secure your place at golf's original major, with priority access to tickets and hospitality at future Open Championships, including the 150th Open at St Andrews next year. Be part of the Open. Be part of The One Club. Join us today at theopen.com. Baker Finch, this game can be so cruel. He's done nothing really wrong. One's praying for it to go in, but it's going to be a six. And Baker Finch will drop away down the ladder to be only seven under. I got to 
12 or 13 and I thought, just let's, let's just settle down and take stock here. Let's just try and take a deep breath and finish this off. Watson another the 13th, this for birdie and to once again go into the lead on his own. I always watch the leaderboard, in particular the last round. It, it gives you sometimes an opportunity to play safe. Other times you, you have to take more risk. To have the opportunity to make a decision based on your competitor and what he has done is, uh, I think, paramount in helping you win golf tournaments. On the 14th, Ballesteros for a birdie. There you saw what makes great champions. Superb three from Watson. Can Seve get a birdie four? Of course he can. Of course he can. They're both 11 under and away. Using the order of play, we figure out who we're going to follow back in so we can get then a, a grandstand seat to see the whole thing unfold. So we would have walked back across the course and then back down 15, 16, and then obviously 17, back of the hotel, and then across and into the 18th grandstand. On their way, many of those fans would have walked by arguably the most iconic hole on the Open Championship rota. At 461 yards, the par 4 17th doesn't sound an overly testing hole, but statistically, it is the hardest hole on the entire Open rota. I've been there a few times, and the road hole provides a significant challenge. We go to 17, and he's headed away to the left, and into the rough. But we've seen the green easily reachable out of there today. It's very difficult. 17 is, is a fantastic hole and uh, it's a par four. And uh, probably when we hear about uh, famous holes all over the world, you only hear about par threes and par fives, never about par fours because there's no, no excitement, no drama. So the only par four uh, in, in the world that you, you hear is uh, the par four at uh, 17 at uh, San Andreas because the difficulty of the tee shot is totally is a little bit blind. The hotel, then the uh, the green itself is is really difficult. The difficult bunker on the left where Nakajima, I think, is still there today, <laughs> and uh, and the road and uh, it's, it's a unique par four. Langer to play first, and oh, he's got a far clearer view of what he's got to do. I would rank 17 as one of the hardest poles in golf, period. No matter what the weather is, whether it's foul weather or beautiful weather, whether it's windy or not, it's, it's a tough par four, no matter what. And uh, your heartbeat goes up a little bit when you stand on that tee box. It's a scary hole. And if, if you make par there, you just look up to heaven and say, amen. Ballesteros, second at 17. No, I was under pressure, not very nervous, but uh, under pressure. And I, the only thing I, when I was on the tee, I say to myself, uh, you know, anything except going to the right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hit the left where I where I wanted to, and, uh, and the ball was in the rough, but it was it was sitting okay, uh, so it was good. Oh, 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 oh. That's a marvelous shot. What a great shot under these circumstances. I was very happy to put the ball on the green because it's very difficult from the left side to put the ball on the green. There's not much room. And when I put the ball in the middle of the green, uh, even it was difficult. I, uh, I still, the path was left about maybe, I would say, 40 feet. 
In fact, Bernard Langer was playing with me and he was having some trouble and he asked me about uh, the rule, what, what can I do? And I said, no, no, ask the referee because I was focused on, on my pad just to make sure that I didn't lose the concentration. I say, ask the referee, there's one referee there. Seve for three at 17. It's not died yet. 11 under. He had bogeyed the 17th the first three rounds and then he hit this absolutely storming second shot to the 17th. Found the green, not the easiest thing in the world to do, putted up and he made his four. So he was still 11 under par. And a very good four for Langer as well. He stays nine under. And both he and Ballesteros move to the 18th tee, the last hole. As we walk uh, into the uh, 18th tee, uh, Nick DePaul uh, come up to me and say, well, we have to, to win. We need to, to make a birdie. Let's do it. And he said there's going to be a playoff. And I told him right then and there, if we make a birdie, there's going to be no need for a playoff. I wanted to keep him thinking positive instead of thinking about a playoff. I'd never been to a last day of an Open. You know, I'd played in 1980, I played in 83, but I missed both the cuts. And, I, you know, I wanted to stay. And when I normally, when you finish a tournament, you clear off. But I actually stayed. I thought, I'm going to stay Sunday night and I'm going to watch the finish of the Open. And I'm very glad I did. I'm not sure there's much in sport that matches the drama and tension created by those two iconic closing holes at the old course. It was now Tom's turn to take on the 17. line very brave i wasn't sure i hit the ball farther right than i i wanted to probably about 15 yards right of where i wanted to i didn't know whether it's out of bounds or not his second shot to the 17th was a disaster i think he's just waiting for the applause for Seve walking up the 18th fairway to cease so that he can concentrate on this very very tough shot overhit it up against the wall and as he hit it Seve turned round and saw pretty much what had happened although Seve was halfway up the 18th by then and wasn't really quite sure. Well we did say it wasn't all over yet that really was an extraordinary shot from Tom. I was in really in the middle of what became a memorable finale of one of the great open championships. I had been a part of it all week I wasn't a part of it so much now except I was in the final group and I got to watch it all. I think Tom hit the wrong club with his second at 17 and it ended up over the green on the road, the only place he really couldn't hit it. We see the guys drive off, so Langer and Ballesteros nicely down the 18th. And I play a, a three wood into the left side of the uh, fairway. He doesn't want a five, he's really pumping him along now. And then all of a sudden there's this sort of whisper, and I'm not sure whether it came from the TV box beside us or whether it was just in the crowd, but there was this whisper, he's on the road, Watson's on the road. And this, this went like wildfire up the grandstand. And even though it was a whisper, I mean, it must, they must have heard it down on the course. And what scenes they are. Yeah, it's the ultimate uh, walk down on 18 because you have those huge bleachers left and right and they're packed with people and they give you a standing ovation all the way down. Your hair stands up. It's just, uh, wow, is this real? You know, am I here? It's, it's like a, a theater with 40, 50,000 people around and you're right in the midst of it. It's very, very, very special. Uh, Seve is 
Second shot to the final hole. The dust flies. So uh, we want, definitely don't want to go long and keep it under the hole, and that's what he did, about 15 foot there. Uphill putt, little hook, not a tough putt at all. We know we're in pretty good shape after seeing Watson up against the wall on 17, so you don't make many pars from where he is. It looked like even a par could win, but Birdie for sure would do it. Okay, take a deep breath. Here's where it stands. Seve is on the 18th green with a makeable birdie putt. But Tom Watson has hit a beautiful second, but it's gone too far, and it's against the wall at the back of the road hole. They are both 11 under and two shots clear of Bernard Langer, who's safely on the final green, but Seve has one hand on the claret jug. If ever Tom Watson needed a miracle and some good luck, it is right now. I was out there watching and I, I remember all the people behind the wall wondering what was going to happen, you know, with Watson. Because we've seen people, of course, many people do hit against the wall. The thought process there is to get lucky. But the game of golf is all about distance control. How hard do you hit it? And uh, most people, when they're playing off the road there, play they wouldn't hit it hard enough. He took a jab at it. I think he used the seven on and he gave it a jab and it went skidding to the back of the green. You know, it's about 30 feet away. Well, he couldn't really do much more. Fortunately, I hit a lucky shot. I mean, it bounced a couple of times and then hit, hit that side wall and popped up on the green. And, and it, it, it was a very successful shot. I was very happy with that shot. He played his shot as Seve hit his birdie putt. Now I'm watching this birdie putt, right to left, 12 feet, 12 to 15 feet, and I'm thinking, this isn't going to make it, Seve. Seve lining up a shortish putt, coming up the hill, slightly uphill, this for a three. I hit the putt and I knew it was a little bit to the right that uh, they were, I was supposed to hit. And it was one moment, and I thought the ball was going to stay on the lip. And he's just done it. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Yeah. You think he enjoyed that one? Go on, give him a kiss as well. That's fantastic stuff. Came in uh, slightly through the tradesman's entrance, as dear old Henry used to say. But that was a three. Perhaps the willpower or whatever, or the testing or whatever, just the ball drop in, and it was probably uh, the greatest moment of my career. It couldn't stay out because, you know, gravity had to make it fall in, and it finally did. Oh, yeah, it grabbed me around the neck and started squeezing me. I knew that was a good thing. And he's just done it. Oh, ho, 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 ho. We've all practiced the, the fist pump. It was a tremendous, tremendous moment. And the, the sound that everybody was making, it was just, it was, uh, it was incredible. Langer obviously had his putt. He birdied his as well. So two happy men as they walk off. Langer, he's going to be at worst third. There she goes. It was incredible to be a part of it, to be that close, to witness history to see the excitement on Sevi's face and the broad smile and, you know, just the enthusiasm he showed when, he, when that ball trickled into the hole and he pretty much knew that that was it. You know, I needed that one and that, that will close the door on all the guys behind me. 
yeah, it was it was fun to be a part of, no doubt about it. And you know, whenever we played, we always felt like we want a European to win. We don't we don't want an American to win the majors or uh, anybody else. That was you know the time when we got beaten in the Ryder Cup so many times and finally came closer and closer and it was that kind of mindset. So it was always us against the Americans, no matter what. I remember even as a player, it was difficult to get a seat and, and I went into the stand at the 18th. There was not one spare seat on there. The only place I could sit literally was above a TV camera on the wood above the TV camera. So sort of my legs were either side of, of a camera lens, not far off. And whenever I look at that picture of Seve when he wins it, when he holds that putt on the last, I always look at that. And when I look at it on the telly, I think, my backside was just on the top of the TV here. You know what I mean? I was just watching. That's, that's the only place I could sit. And, you know, as it's gone down in history, I'm so glad I did stay. At the same time, back on the 17th, Watson was about to make his par putt. And he had to wait because the noise was deafening from the 18th. Watson's got to listen to all this. Seve looks back. He knows he's got to hold this and then get a three at the last to tie or hold his second shot. Yeah, he, he hold the putt before I putted my putt on 17. It was a must. It was a must putt. You know when you hit a putt that uh, has a chance. Uh, the putt was, you know, it was, it was three inches wide. That was such a must putt at 17 because he'd already hold his putt. Now I know I'm, uh, I've got to hold the putt to be one shot behind. And that, one must think, is where his run with the sixth title has come to an end. But stranger things have happened than a two at the last. We obviously then see the ball behind to see what Watson's had a five. He's really got to make a, a big change here coming up the last. You're sort of working out, well, he's two behind. He's, he's got to hold his second shot. He drove off. I drove it down the right, which was perfect for the approach to the hole. Tom went a little farther left. A two to tie. He hits his drive up uh, with Ian Baker Finch. You've then got this tremendous thing that I'm not even sure that it happens at St Andrews anymore, where humanity runs up the course. They're all folding in like a, like a tsunami coming down the 18th and the 1st. You've got the, the policemen in their shirt sleeves trying to stop people. Oh, hello, there goes the constabulary. And the reason is the cavalry charge, which is almost like the, the last night of the proms. They all like to get in position. It's become a bit of a tradition now. And then from somewhere, Tom Watson and Ian Baker Finch appear with their caddies. I don't, I don't know how they get through all of that. And then you realise, right, he's got, to, he's got to hold this. And the, the place went silent. He walked all the way up through the Valley of Sin, onto the green. He obviously, he had to put it in. It didn't go flat, as you might think. I think the crowd was still feeling what Seve felt, and then they were obviously interested in what Watson might do. So it wasn't an open that suddenly everybody said, that's it, and walked off. It was just a marvellous open, it really was. I had to take dead aim in trying to make the shot. I had to see, it's going to be to the right, break left. A bold one right over the top of the flag. And we started to Doug Sanders' territory, right over the flag. Bad luck, says Alfie Files. It was over. It was over. When I missed the putt at 17, it was very deflating. I had to try to hold the second shot, uh, which is obviously one in, you know, one in a thousand chance. Yeah, I was deflated walking all the way up 18 and finishing. Well judged. I played the last four or five holes, two under par. I mean, wish I could have given that to Tom. 
on the day. If he'd finished like me, he would have won. Well, a very brave defence of his title. It was heartbreaking for Tom Watson and playing partner Ian Baker Finch finished tied ninth alongside the handsome young Scot called Sam Torrance. Meanwhile, loitering next to the 18th green was the journalist Tony Adamson. His job was to interview Severiano Ballesteros for BBC Radio. The idea was that I grabbed him as quickly as I could. I think I was about third because TV, of course, rules OK in moments like this. And, and you have to allow BBC television to get in there first, and which they did. Seve, bravo, senor. Yeah, that was a great. Uh, you know, that last part that was uh, great. And uh, I think especially the uh, second shot of the 17, that was a uh, crucial point, I would say. Just tell me what you felt like when you got the three on the 18. I feel great. I feel very exciting. And, uh, you know, I, when I make the putt, I thought probably that's it. After we won, he took me in the clubhouse and caddies aren't supposed to go in there, but he, he had me around the neck. So he was taking me. They wanted to take a few pictures. So uh, they went up on the second floor balcony, which overlooks the first tee. And they had champagne there. So we had our champagne. I think I was the only caddy ever up there on the second floor balcony drinking champagne. I'm Seve was being enveloped by his umpteen brothers. His mum was there the first time she'd ever seen him play at, a, at an open championship. She was there looking very shy and retiring behind the scenes. His girlfriend, Carmen, who moved into Seve's rented farmhouse. Uh, well, it was, it was my mother was there. We rent a house and... We have a nice dinner and we, we just make comments about uh, what happened throughout the week and uh, nothing spectacular, just, <laughs> you know, a happy, a happy night. It was a disappointment uh, not to have won my sixth. So St. Andrews, uh, I, had a, I had my opportunities a couple of times at St. Andrews and it just didn't pan out. Tom Watson's pain at not winning his sixth claret jug is plain to hear. But for most of us, the 113th Open Championship was magnificent. From fans, reporters, caddies and players, 1984 will always be remembered for the right reasons. It was good being a part of that whole uh, finale. I think that's another thing that, that was instilled in me was how Seve had just hung in there all day and ended up winning. Tom, who looked like being the guy that was going to win all day, lost it on 17. That's what we practice for. We can see ourselves hopefully being in, in the last couple of groups on any major championship, coming down with a chance to win. The spectators are just phenomenal. They cheer you on from the tee all the way down to the fairway, to the green, and on it goes. They're just happy to be out there and, and grateful to see some of the best golfers in the world in action on, on a beautiful sunny day at St. Andrews. It just doesn't get any better than that. We probably all, the next day we went out to play golf, we probably all had that 13-foot putt, gave the old fist pump. We all had to go and buy Slazenger blue jumpers. You know, it was, uh, Seve was tremendous. He was a super, super winner. Seeing Seve winning the Open Championship at St Andrews and knowing what it meant to him was unquestionably, for me, the greatest moment. I will never, ever forget that winning putt 
the ball toppling in and his fantastic reaction. He, like Tiger, was able to lift the entire game. Everybody wanted to watch Seve, you know, then everybody wanted to watch Tiger. You'd have to rate him among the greatest of all time. I mean, not just his record, but the excitement he brought to the game, you know, the shots he played and the unbelievable risks he took that would come off and the delight he showed and that was shared, you know, with the people watching him. It was a wonderful time in golf. Spanish players will always look back to the days of Seve. It was the greatest day of his life and it was the greatest day of mine. When he finished and gave that fist pump, he looked so happy and that's the way I want to remember him. There were so many special memories from the Open Championships. Perhaps none are as vivid as the one of Seve punching the air as the winning birdie putt dropped into the hole. The fist pump photograph seen around the world would go on to become iconic representing Seve's legacy and adorning the sleeve of all the European Ryder Cup team and the famous Miracle at Medina. The Spaniards' victory at St Andrews was a beautiful moment. For Seve, it was his finest moment. And it gave us all an image that will represent him forever. From that moment is where I put my, my logo here. So that was the, my greatest moment, so just to make sure that it's there. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it in, in my arm. He's just on his own. Thank you, Jim, for that one. The story of 1984 was narrated by me, Sam Torrance, and is dedicated to the late Severiano Balaceros. They do not come any greater than Sevi. Touch of class, baby. Touch of class. Touch of class. Producers include Rob Day, Mike Birch, and Chris Lewis. The executive producers were Paul Sutcliffe and Steve Tebb. And the winner of the gold medal, the champion golfer for the year, with a score of 276, Sabriano Ballesteros. Probably uh, the greatest moment now of my career. We hope you enjoyed this edition of The Story Of as well as live leaderboards, tea times, video and radio during the Open Championship, you can enjoy historical and new content every day of the year with the Open app. Download for free on iPhone or Android. This has been an original audio production from the Open.